Marco on the normal radio. Free weed. Free weed. Oh, yo. Danny Danko come to show you how it grows. You're now tuned in to Free Weed from Danny Danko on normal radio. Presented by High Times Magazine. See me, I say, boom, bang. Big respect. See me, I say, Danny Danko. Welcome to episode number 84 of High Times Presents Free Weed from Danny Danko. As always, I'm here with my colleague Mike Hughes as the co-host. And uh, it's a very exciting episode. We've got Adam Dunn uh, from TH Seeds and Jan Carlos Beil from uh, Medcana, um, some consulting on marijuana, growing large amounts of cannabis. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about some new stuff, Boston Freedom Rally, some other things that are going on. And then we'll have uh, my colleague Craig come on to talk about growing cannabis for concentrate making. So uh, as always, we'll have questions and answers as well. So stick around. We'll be back with free All right. So, as always, thank you to Jacques and Winstrong for the song. And here we are, Mike. Episode 84. 84. Who'd have thunk it? It's pretty impressive. And, uh, you know, one of the the events I think that you look forward to all year, which is not a High Times event, but because you're you're from the area and you love the the message, you have an exciting weekend coming up, right? Yeah, Boston Freedom Rally. Always exciting. Uh, I grew up there. Um, Used to go to the event uh, long before I had any... Um, you know, standing in the industry or anything like that. So uh, always exciting to go up there. Um, and you know, you just greeted like a conquering hero now. <laughs> I wouldn't home. say that. I would not say that. But the, I definitely will be speaking of the Northeast. <laughs> I'll be speaking from uh, multiple stages, and I'll be at the High Times booth all weekend. If you come by, mention free weed. I might have a sticker for you or something like that. Um, but yeah, say hello, uh, free weed heads out there come by the boston uh the boston freedom rally check the high times booth we'll be right next to normal we're gonna have some surprises there too uh, one of which i can reveal now we're gonna have dr lester grinspoon at the event oh nice yeah and uh you know he's getting up there in age and it's, so it's very difficult sometimes to make it out for things but uh did we gonna... put him to work is he like selling <laughs> magazines for us no no he's no? gonna be there he's gonna be speaking and uh, uh briefly and then maybe hanging out uh, in the high times normal booth for for a little while as well but um, if you don't know, the man is an absolute legend who wrote uh, Marijuana Reconsidered back in the 70s and um, Marijuana, the Forbidden Drug, the first real medical marijuana uh, book ever. So, um, And we, we named our Lifetime Achievement Award after him. Yeah, the uh, Lester Grinspoon Lifetime Achievement Award. He's a Harvard professor um, who has done just a tremendous amount of work for helping to legalize cannabis uh, medicinally and recreationally. Um, and he's got great stories. I mean, he talks about hanging out with Carl Sagan and Isaac Asimov and John Lennon. And yeah, he's a treasure trove of information and amazing stories and just a wonderful, a wonderful human being. So we're excited to have him coming by the Boston Freedom Rally. Um, yeah, there's been some other stuff in the news lately. Uh, the big mar- mixed martial arts thing is crazy, right? Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I'm not a huge uh, MMA guy. Uh, nor am I. Right. I can't even watch it, but, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, to I can't. Hear, well, yeah, it's, it's very violent. But to hear um, any athlete getting suspended from what 
what they do for five years is insanity. Five year suspension for Joey Diaz, in case you guys haven't heard. Uh, sorry, Nick Diaz. I'm sorry, not, uh, Nick Diaz, not Joey Coco Diaz. <laughs> I confuse them because they're both on the Rogan podcast. But right, uh, yeah. but yeah, Nick Diaz, um, mar- mixed martial arts fighter. I know uh, you know everyone who's into MMA either loves him or hates him or whatever they might feel about him. But he got a five year suspension. I mean, that's like. You know he's in the prime of his career at this point, and he's not going to be able to collect the money that he sh- deserves. And he's and not this gonna... effectively is a lifetime ban. I mean, he's going to be approaching forty when this is over, and it's, he's eligible. And it's outrageous. And, yeah. I mean, these guys are paid to beat the shit out of each other, and they can't smoke pot. I mean, it's it, it's the mind <laughs> wobbles. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, <laughs> but what's cool is people have come out to, in his defense, including Ronda Rousey, who is their highest paid. Uh, fighter and and the female champion of uh, mixed martial arts so very i mean you know she's in the spotlight and yet um you know she's not shying away from saying that you know this is a very political decision that was made it clearly has nothing to do with performance enhancement um yeah i mean all the stuff coming out about brain injuries and and marijuana and and all these things it's it's really one day we're going to look back on this and just think how silly and crazy we were to have you know these these restrictions on marijuana, it's it's really for a such shame. a benign substance. It's very odd that there's such a hardline stance. But her her quote was terrific. I'm just going to read it here so we have it. It's not right for him to be suspended five years for marijuana. I'm against them testing for weed at all. It's not a performance enhancing drug. It has nothing to do with athletic competition. It's only tested for political reasons. That's a that's pretty good, man. Yeah, I mean, she's out is, there on it. That is really great. Um, you know, she's standing up for something. She doesn't. She didn't have to say that. She doesn't have to do that at all. No, she's um, like the biggest star in that sport right now. She could just keep her head down and keep collecting <laughs> her money. You know. Yeah, but you know, she has a, a a moral obligation to defend her friend and defend the fact that marijuana use has no bearing on your ability to fight in mixed martial arts. Uh, you know, we've we've talked to. Joe Rogan and and people like that about this um, numerous times. Um, Eddie Bravo. I mean, these are guys who spar on pot. You know, they're high when they fight and they say it helps them. So I don't know. I mean, it's just crazy. Five year suspension. It's 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 really it's shameful. So hopefully that'll be rescinded and, and you know, they'll let Nick uh, fight. You know, he only actually failed one out of the three tests too. like two of them. He passed and one he failed. Yeah. And Mm. and it was like the shadiest one. I mean, that's the thing is like they they tell these guys when these tests are going to be. So, you know, they they they're effectively just basically telling them don't smoke pot for like two or three weeks before your fight, Uh, which really doesn't make any sense if that's something that they enjoy and like to do. It's just basically a like she said, it's political. Right. And that's ridiculous that we're in that. I mean, what if they're fighting in Colorado? What if they're fighting in Oregon or Washington or Alaska? I it, oh, and if the NFL is going to have this exact same problem. Like, they do something similar where you know when you're going to get tested. So if you come up clean during that one time of year, then you're going to be fine. But if you get caught and you end up in their uh, drug um, program, they test you all the damn time. You, mm-hmm. you know, that's when it really becomes a problem. But it's very hypocritical. There's a, there are teams in Colorado. There are teams in Washington State. Mm-hmm. It's legal for everyone else to do it. Yeah, I mean, the time has come at this point to just honestly just legalize and 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 you know all these funny little conflicts that are happening over taxes and over you know sports and all these things. All of that goes by the wayside if we could just completely you know legalize, make marijuana legal to grow, to sell, to smoke, all of that, and uh, 
and let people use what they want. These are grown people. I mean, it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it, it's so it is ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. But let's look at a positive news story. Uh, Colorado announced that it is the first state in the country that collected more tax revenue from pot than alcohol in uh, a year. Amazing. Is that incredible? <laughs> that is amazing. Let I me just I, tell you, 70 million. And that's million, a fact. That's not that's this is a fact their from, own statistics. From the State Department of Revenue, they said that they collected $70 million from marijuana tax revenue in 2014 compared to $42 million on alcohol. Wow. That is that's amazing. That's crazy. That is amazing. That is awesome. It's a great thing. It's great for Colorado. Uh, hopefully the other states are, are going to take notice of that uh, and see that, you know, the benefit of that. It's incredible. $70 million that goes into the coffers to build roads and schools and pay, you know, state employees and help with the infrastructure of the of the of the state. You know, it's just and 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 it's uh, people drink a lot of alcohol in Colorado, too. So it's yeah, not like it's not, it's not Utah. <laughs> right. right. I mean, it's it's. It's a beer drinking, beer producing, alcohol drinking state, and uh, and not even close seventy to forty two million. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's great, and that's good news, and that's something you know we should be publicizing uh, nationwide and worldwide so that people can see, you know, legalization results in profits for you know people like the state and and uh individual taxpayers will pay less in taxes because the co- the government is taking in more from from pot and you know i obviously you know there, there's people who will say oh you don't you can't tax medicine you can't tax pot you well you can and you, they're going <laughs> to and and they're they will i mean you know if you have the separation between medical and recreational like they have in colorado um you know people who are buying medical are paying less for it than people who are buying recreational because the recreational is taxed. So it's, uh, you know, it's a good thing. It's really... Oh, what's great about marijuana is you could get around paying taxes on it because you can literally grow your own medicine. Absolutely. So. We're, we're, the, we're, we're like the only constituency that like wants to pay more taxes. <laughs> if, you, if you agree to not throw us in jail, we will pay more taxes for, <laughs> for the pot that we want to smoke and grow and, and sell. It's a good deal. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well... Okay, so that's sort of the positive, but mm-hmm. then, you know, we live and work on the East Coast, and uh, we're Sadly. sort of in, like, the dark ages <laughs> of marijuana law reform, and even though uh, New Jersey, our, our neighbor state, uh, legalized medical pot in 2010, it's just been one gigantic clusterfuck, mm-hmm. and they're just eroding uh, this law away. So, most recently, uh, the appeals court in New Jersey ruled that the smell of burned marijuana... Uh, is still probable cause for a warrantless search. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's it, ridiculous. It's it's technically, it can be legal. The person smoking it could be a licensed medical patient. Yeah, I don't. I just don't see how that's constitutional. Even, even without a medical law in place, it seems like it shouldn't really be constitutional to do that. I mean, what, where's the probable cause? It's just that you're just trusting a cop's nose. I don't know. It, to yeah, me, well, that's the problem, I think. You're trusting somebody <laughs> who says, oh, I smelled All pot. he's got to do is say he smelled, I it, smelled it, search, and prove if that he I finds didn't. it, yeah, there's no way to prove that he didn't smell it. And so, I don't know. It, to me, it's just you, you got to take that power away from them, you know. And seeing as how all these things are happening with uh, police, you know, nationwide, basically – kind of overreaching and, and really going beyond prote- serving and protecting us and, and, you know, basically, like, 
you know, harassing people. And, and, you know, we've got stop and frisk here. We've got all these things, all these ways that, that police can, you know, they're really, they're there to protect us. I don't, I just don't get it. Like, I, I don't know, you know, it's just, just protect us from right. people who wish to do us harm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, Not I just want to smoke some pot. afraid of people doing us harm and the police right. arresting we're us. Stuck, or we're worse. stuck between. It's like the police and the thieves. You know, we're, <laughs> we're just basically the, 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 the citizens in between in this huge, you know, clusterfuck that they've got going on. So, you know, it's interesting. Know. Like, the, this, the New Jersey court just ruled that pot odor, cons- you know, is probable cause for a search. But uh, last month, I don't know if you guys caught this story. In Oregon, uh, it went all the way to the uh, the Court of Appeals in Oregon. Uh, does marijuana smoke constitute something that is inherently offensive and therefore probable cause for a warrant? And the court in Oregon had the exact opposite uh, feeling. They ruled, uh, we are not prepared to declare the odor of marijuana smoke is equivalent to the odor of garbage. Indeed, some people undoubtedly find the scent pleasing. <laughs> And so they overturned a case that uh, a cop said that he smelled pot and kicked in this kid's door and busted him. And they said, no, you can't do that based on you saying you smelled something that was inherently offensive. So, right. Well, that's the difference between West Coast and East Coast right exactly. there yeah. in a nutshell. Um, but I blame Chris Christie. I mean, especially for the, the medical law not being implemented. Yeah, what is going on with this medical law in Jersey? It's, yeah. I mean, basically, you know, it, it was the last thing Corzine did before he left. And the first thing that Christie did when he started was he decided he was going to gut this thing and like not allow it. He inherited this law. He inherited the law. He but allowed it, it to. Th- th- a law that he did not like. He did and not that he like. spoke openly against. And he inherited it and did everything within his power to drag his feet and keep it from happening. And on the way, you know, in case you think that's not a big deal, kids died, you know. So it, he, you know, that. The, those you kids, mean children that were epileptic and needed yeah, their their medicine for seizures. And, yeah, yeah right. absolutely. Some of the kids who actually were at the state house in New Jersey protesting and trying to get this law passed have themselves passed since the law has been in place. And it's just so it, inexcusable. Yeah, it's inexcusable. Why should people have to move their whole families to another state uh, to get something that their people in their state voted for? It, it's yeah, I don't know. It's an outrage, basically, and and I blame Christie. And if anybody's thinking about voting for that person, <laughs> you're you're nuts. If he had you, some very unpleasant he, things to say about pot smokers. And he the, is he is disgusting. He's just he's the a worst, a horrible person. Yeah, he he is. He's yeah, a bully. He is a bully. He's he's a horrible man. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, yeah, so there's good news and there's bad news. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Our message is, is move to the West Coast, kids. Yeah. Yeah. Go yep. west, young man. Go west if you can. Or change the laws where you are. You know, that's important too. Not everybody can just up and move somewhere. So, you know, let's let's let that freedom flag fly everywhere. And uh that's part of what we you know, what we're doing up in Boston as well is they've got a rec law coming in twenty sixteen. Cali's got one coming. We just gotta keep the pressure on and keep this happening because like I said, you know, you might live in a place where you're free to smoke and go to the store and buy some pot, but people are still locked up in jail um, for that same thing. So, yeah, not to belabor the point, but it is a big culture shock when we deal with West Coast people. We're so used to sort of living <laughs> in the shadows and doing everything, you know, like we can get busted oh, yeah. and have. So, mm-hmm. anyway, yep. um, 
Just uh, before we move on, one last thing to say. Uh, we have a ton of events coming up. We're not going to get into detail, but go to CannabisCup.com. Check yeah. it out. We have a full event schedule for Halloween. the rest of the year. Halloween, Halloween in Central yeah. Cali near Fresno in Lemoore. Mm-hmm. Um, tickets are on sale for that at CannabisCup.com. I'm very excited to see what sort of costumes people wear. Oh, by the way, I was right. You do get uh, – we are having a costume party. So if you do come in costume, you will win um, – tickets to the cannabis cup of your choice in 2016 wow that's the deal well not just if you come in costume but if you win if you win yeah if you win (laughs) if you win best costume so yeah get out there get planning i got i got my ideas for for costumes uh um that should be fun we've never done an event on halloween like that so that should be very exciting and uh like i said that's central california um just outside of fresno in lemoore check out cannabiscup.com for more info and then a couple of weeks after that Jamaica. Jamaica. Yeah, November 12th through the 15th, we will be in Negril, Jamaica, doing the first ever World Cannabis Cup um, um, hosted by the Rastafari Roots Fest. So all the information on that is also at CannabisCup.com. So check it out and hope to see you there. Yaman. Yaman. Yeah, all right. So, uh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to... We're going to take a little break. We're going to tell you a little bit about BC Northern Lights. But when we come back, we have Adam Dunn in the studio. Yes. So stick around. All right, folks, we are going to get right back to the show and talk about growing pot. But I would be remiss if I did not mention the BC Northern Lights grow boxes that they make. Um, these guys have been with us from the start. They've been making, helping people grow their own since 2001. There's a grow box for everybody, and these are well-built, well-put-together. They're made for growing. They're not repurposed uh, boxes that are just uh, redesigned. All the wiring is wonderful, um, high-yield design, air, uh, smell-free air circulation, um, professionally made specifically for growing pots so if you want mind-numbing yields check out bcnorthernlights.com or give them a call at 888-236-1266 you can learn to grow on their website they will help you step by step through the process Um, they have a grow box for everybody's needs they have the bloom box the producer the roommate they even have grow boxes that don't grow they dry so there's a drying box that can keep the odor down during uh, harvesting and curing check them out bcnorthernlights.com 888-236-1266 thank you to our friends at bcnl you can swear good yeah uh welcome back to high times presents free weed from danny danko uh we have a couple of special guests in the house we have Mr. Adam Dunn, a repeat guest, coming back from... Uh, a repeat offender. Repeat offender from TH Seeds uh, and Hemp Hood Lab and Hood Lamb and... All those Lammy, CIA Lammy things. and KGB yes. and... And Medcana. And Medcana. Don't forget, don't forget Medcana. Right. Consulting Which is as why well. I'm here. Exactly. In this beautiful city. That's right. Here in New York. And our guest, a first-timer here, but an old friend, uh, Mr. Carlos... Bill? That's right. Jan Carlos Bile. Jan Carlos Bile. You have to Carlos. give all three names. Uh, yeah, you got to give all three. It's, oh, it's, all three. It's, 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 yeah, it's a requirement. Jan Carlos is with Medcana as a consultant working in the cannabis space, He's as they the say. I am a presidente. Don't you hate hearing people say cannabis space? Yeah. 
Is that kind of space? Weird. That's a bit bothersome. But yeah. Let's just say, well, as long as they don't say marijuana. Industry. As long as they say, if they don't say marijuana, I'm happy. I, just, I hate that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. Cannabis industry we prefer. Cannabis. Industry. Cannabis space sounds a little bit weird. Right. And you're well aware, obviously, of a lot of the laws all around. So we're going to talk about the different states and things that are going on. Um, but first, I'd oh, like to... Oh, and we have Al in the studio. We do have Cousin Al. Al. Cousin Al's here. Cousin Al's, Al's, Al's a legend. An Amsterdam legend. Yes, a, he's a yeah. legend. And actually, Absolutely. what are you, you celebrating? What, your 21st the year there now? 21 years. 21 years. 21 years. That's exactly so have, when I left. Katsu. We, like, we have almost 50 years of Amsterdam. 50 years in of Amsterdam room. in the room right now. Boom. Wow. There you yeah. go. Very that's interesting. That's a lot of debauchery right that's there. A, <laughs> that's a debaucherous 50 years, yeah, that's <laughs> I tell you. Yeah, some of us just made it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. Uh, we will definitely we can get into some of that as well. That sounds like uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> Amsterdam's always interesting. <laughs> well, you you arrived in Amsterdam in the mid nineties, no, right? early, no, the late eighties, late eighties. Late eighties. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so wow. Okay, I was mid. I was. I got there in ninety six. Ninety six. He was there in eighty nine. Okay. And Al 89. got there. Right? What'd you get there? Yeah. You get there? Ninety four. Yeah. yeah. So now, prior to that, you were in Rhode Island. No, I was California. I think right prior to that, I was in, um, let's see, Australia. And oh, yeah, you had a <laughs> prison. There's no prison. You, no, you no had, prison. You, yeah, you went to Australia. And I went to Australia for a while, for like a year, and then I was in the Caribbean, and then I was in the Mediterranean, and then I was kind of doing, I was working on boats for a while, so I was doing sailboating, sailing around. Jet setting. Jet, well, not really jetting. I was sailing really slow, <laughs> 14 miles an hour, jet set. <laughs> but it was fun. Okay, and then, so then you wind up in Amsterdam mm-hmm. and uh, now did you were you growing from the beginning were you actually it was weird I, I, last place I lived was in Florida because I was working on boats and I grew there but it was not intentional it was like literally like throwing <laughs> seeds out the window and like hey look there's a plant growing I was like ah, that's amazing and Florida being where it is um, I cut the plant, and this is actually my first learning experience, is I cut the plant, but I didn't cut the whole plant. I cut the top off of it and left the bottom because it was kind of like nothing there anyway. And then forgot about it, and then like went back after like six months, went back to the same spot, and was like, oh, look, it regrew again, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like I kind of figured out that whole, re- like, oh, Regeneration. They, they actually don't die if you cut them. And I thought, because, you know, so it was a, a little bit of growing, but very little. And mm-hmm. then uh, when I did the transatlantic, I was literally obsessed with the idea of growing at that point. So all I talked about was square feet and how much light I could do or whatever. I was trying to like, you know, I was really into it, reading about it. And I was driving everybody on the boat crazy because we were stuck together for for 14 (laughs) days at a time or whatever. And I was just like, I could grow about 10 pounds of weed in this back room here. You know, I was just trying to figure out this stuff. And so I knew that that was kind of my future, I thought at least. And it ended up being true. (laughs) Imagine that. And that's the the draw. I mean, that's what Amsterdam does. I mean, it was, you know, I started growing in uh, in university in Canada. uh, And that was the exact same time I started meeting. We we all have a mutual friend that introduced us all. Uh, You you as as well, uh, Danny. Yeah. Uh, So... Shout out to, to, to Big Willie White out there. Big Willie! Uh, but I was growing in Canada, and that was really what happened for me, was that I, I f- sort of found, I found cannabis, and I was like, dude, I've, someone's been lying to me. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what the hell? Carlos, you know, I, I was a you know, just-say-no kid growing up in the, the D.C. Beasters. area. <laughs> you know, growing up in the D.C. suburbs as a just-say-no kid, a football player. And, uh, and then I started smoking weed, and I was like, wait a minute. Uh, somebody has clearly been lying to me here. Mm-hmm. Uh, started to get into it, investigate it. Uh, met Willie on the way to to Amsterdam one year, uh, and pretty much the rest is history. And, and met I, Adam. I met Willie at the trade show in um, in Vegas, and it was at the Champ Show. Oh, before it was even Champs, probably contemporary tobacco accessories. I think or it might have like been that. still that. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. It was just and and uh, 
So it was pretty cool. It was like uh, he was one of the few guys out there that was just like, you know, really coming at it from like he was doing soft glass. He was making these soft glass pipes. And so, you know, see where that went. Right. That didn't <laughs> go anywhere. Right? So he was definitely on like his own like thing. He wasn't doing anything that anybody else was doing. So along the way, uh, you start uh, CIA KGB, which was yeah. Yeah. cannabis well, was, in Amsterdam. Yeah, Killer that was Green after Bud. being there for about four years. I mean, it was mm-hmm. kind of like the, the thing about Amsterdam, which is interesting, I, I think, is that you realize when you get there that there's not a lot of space. Like there's not a lot of housing. Everybody's always like kind of like, hey, I heard your dad died. Can I can I rent his house? You're like what? Hey. <laughs> People are like desperate to get mm-hmm. your spot. So once you're there, you kind of realize you can't leave because if you leave, they'll just fill in your spot within like a day. Like there's no <laughs> wait around for you to come back kind of thing. So it's kind of like the longer you're there, the more you feel like I guess I can't go anywhere. I gotta stay. Kind of like New York. I mean, New York's also tough. For Similar. To, you know, if you get a really nice house here or a decent spot, you kind of yeah. like feel like it's not worth leaving because you know you might never get that again as things roll. You know. Mm-hmm. So uh, after I was there for like four years. The weird thing, too, is I was walking past the Hash Museum with my mom. My mom was out there for a minute, and, and she even said, yeah, you should work there, you know? And it was just kind of like, and then about a month later, I go, hey, I got a job, Mom. Guess where? She's like, where? I'm like, the Hash Museum. She's like, really? I, you know, she kind of knew it psychically that that was going to be the spot. And then uh, there, then Sensi Seeds is, is the owners of that, so, of course kind of got into the whole industry but she's sort of apprenticed under the drunkers yeah a little bit i mean it, it was kind of like i was more of a sales guy less of a grower for them because they did everything in rotterdam um, so all the production was done in, in either rotterdam or in nijmegen down south and then amsterdam was their flagship store basically but they didn't the thing about amsterdam and rotterdam they're very different places if you're from rotterdam and you come to amsterdam every day to go to work you're like always pissed off because you're surrounded by these amsterdammers and you're from Rotterdam and you just have a different way of doing things and then nobody wants to work it's very funny it's very secular in, in Holland like they don't you know 20 miles down the road forget about those guys you know <laughs> so he had a really so Alan had a real hard time kind of just running the store because he had to drive every day you know ride back and forth so I just sort of took over the, the product first I was in the hash museum and then I kind of ended up in Sensi and I was just more of a go-getter when it came to sales I was like this guy's got a lot of money on him right here. I'd see a guy come in with like 10 grand and they didn't have, they didn't know how to sell to these people. They had guys ready to spend the money and they're like, oh, we don't have that. It's like, well, sell them something else. You know what I mean? <laughs> upsell, upsell. So I kind of just showed them by just doing it. I just like, I didn't even have a job officially with them. I was working next door. But every time a real kind of American customer came in that I thought was a good one, I would coke you know sit there tell them everything like they needed to hear as far as you know like a lot of guys would come in looking for stuff that was american based but the whole deal was back in the day with the seed companies what people don't realize is most of those seeds are being produced in america they weren't being produced in holland they were just being ordered out of holland you know so at the end of the day you would uh get you'd have people who were uh you know looking for williams wonder strains like that that were very exclusive to America. Mm-hmm. Nobody in Holland knew what Williams Wonder was. I'd never see Williams Wonder on a menu. Still haven't, really. Um, but every person who asked for it, it was funny because I knew. I was like, so where are you guys from? They'd be like, Nebraska. And I was like, for sure, because that's where it comes from. It comes from the Midwest. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's where this strain came from. So we were actually selling seeds, not, not Sensi, but Neville was sending seeds you know, from inside of America. It was never, there was no transporting internationally. That's why things legally could make it in the first place. Wow. So it's kind of like, you know, and everybody just thought seeds all came from Holland. They did, some of them, but a lot of them were just produced here. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so it was like, just kind of like by proxy, I jumped in there and said, you know what, you, 
guys don't know how to sell. <laughs> Let me help you sell, you know. And then we helped them get. And, that, and that was that was the start of CIA, right? That's I mean that's basically how the, where the impetus for CIA came. Yeah, from, and right? then after f- being there for a couple of years, I was like, you know what? Uh, and I met Dion Mark Graff, who mm-hmm. actually I just saw at the last show, which is kind of funny, um, over in LA. But he was a real revolutionary guy who just wanted to see this plant legalized, and he was pushing it in every direction he could. And he had a lot of good ideas. It's just his delivery was a little bit off sometimes. And so I always kind of felt like uh, me and Doug helped him kind of legitify it a little bit. And then also the problem was we were in Amsterdam. We were like, don't make too many waves, Dion. We don't need to legalize it here. It's already kind of legal. You know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. but America is what he was envisioning. And he actually moved back in 95 right before it hit in California. So he was pretty much at the right place there doing that. And then same with what I did. I went back to... To Colorado. Colorado right before it became legal. So it's kind of like as we see these things become, it's like almost like we're in Canada prison in Amsterdam. Like, what are we going to do? How are we ever going to get out of this place? You know, and then the minute it opens up, it's worth going to uh, back to where you're from because you can do more good where you're from than you will if you're out of, out of the country. Because we all kind of left. I mean, a lot of people that are in Holland are literally running away from their problems there's tons of those people you know what i mean there's a lot of people think that holland's like this oh yeah it's gonna be great and they don't realize when they get there it's cold and it's rainy cold and and rain. like the, people, lot, the people aren't friendly there's a lot of reasons not to hang out there as an ex as a guy <coughs> on the run or whatever and they don't and they work with the american government that you don't they don't there's no protection there right. so it's not like you're in some sort of protected back in the day well, they, it had a moment where it was kind of like that because they were like we're never going to send you to america if you're going to get in more trouble for what you did than right. you would hear, and that was always counterbalanced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you had a, you had a few hold. I mean, Neville, you know, Neville was hold up, right? So, I mean, did I, have I ever told you that story about uh, uh, the, on the on the highway when when I was driving Neville around? Mm-mm. Tell well, us. Well, so 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 I mean, so you know, uh, to fill some of the backstory, and obviously, so mm-hmm. I you know I got over in '96. Uh, started working for a mutual friend That's for when a he came while. Back, right around then, too, right? Yeah, exactly. He he had just come back around ninety five, ninety six. I think yep. him and Scott. Yep. So I was with I, I was with the greenhouse uh, with Aryan and. And those guys, and um, so I used to, you know, I was the puppy, you know, I was the learning from these, learning from these guys, and uh, uh, I used to, you know, one of, one of my duties was uh, as Neville's driver, you know, so every time Neville would show up at the shop, I'd park his car, and then sometimes I'd drive him around, etc. Well, one day we are, uh, we were headed down, I think, towards Rotterdam on the, on the 10 or whatever that is, uh, headed south out of Amsterdam, and I'm driving along, and Neville's, uh, you know, was got some, you know, I don't know, S-Class Benz or something, you know, nice Benz or whatever. Uh, all of a sudden, I sort of noticed that uh, there's, like, no other cars around us. And I was just kind of like, this is a little bit odd. And then I look in the rearview mirror, and I see, like, three motorcycle cops uh, way in the distance. And then about half a mile in front of me, I see a helicopter uh, lower landing on the fucking highway. <laughs> so uh, there's a helicopter landing in front of me and there's three co- motorcycle cops coming up behind me and I'm just like okay I guess I'm gonna stop <laughs> so I just stop and the cops come up and they're like uh, you know in their dutchy dutchy way uh, Meneer you know very polite uh, you know uh, <laughs> to you or to him <laughs> to Neville to yeah. Neville yeah, so yeah. They no a- they they they, they they took him out and put him in the helicopter and flew him away. Wow. Uh, and, and I let me go. <laughs> wow. I've never heard that story. That's, That's awesome. so, crazy. Yeah. So I was like, holy shit. Well, yeah, so, well, you know when the helicopter lands on the highway for you. <laughs> things have gotten time a little. To go. Things are, yeah, yeah. Time yeah. to go on it. That's yeah. pretty amazing. I never heard this so, story. Yeah, so, no. so, but out of CIA and KGB grows THC's mm-hmm. and, and um, you open the first hemp store in Europe. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was actually by like a month. It was funny. The guys from <laughs> uh, in Germany from Hunt House, they actually opened up like three or four places like a month after we did. But I was like, hey, you know, <laughs> can't go back in time. It's, <laughs> we're still the first. And, and we, that, that was our tagline, first and finest hemp store. In Europe, you know, so we always yeah, but it, you know, it was more than just a hemp store because I've been to a lot of hemp stores, and and that yeah. was really kind of a a, a meeting place, a central yeah. location. Well, you, you a go, lot sorry. of times, it would be the first place anyone would go when they'd arrive, and the Perfect last location. and the last place yeah. you'd go when you'd leave because yeah. you had the laminating machine, yeah. <laughs> so you could take any extra. I mean, I guess you know, I don't want to talk out of school, but oh, uh, yeah, I guess those did. times you are done. But you yeah, take, yeah, yeah. If you had yeah. some extra, you know, hash or anything else you might want to laminate, um, you could do that there at the shop, and it was, it was a little. Uh, well, and it was, <laughs> and it was nice it was, now. We're closed now, so it's, it's closed. Yeah, yeah, it's closed. Congratulations yeah, yeah. on twenty amazing years yeah. of, of service. Because we actually uh, closed on four twenty this year. It was kind of sad. Sad, sad day. But the thing about the shop, and the thing about both shops, actually CIA and Hempworks, is that uh, it's for me really awesome when I don't know something's going to happen and it happens. And that's what always happened at the shop. It was like literally serendipity every day. Like yeah, somebody would yeah, walk, in walk in and or... say, "Hey." And then they'd see somebody like, oh, my God, I haven't seen you in 20 years. And they're like, well, you guys know each other? meeting. That was the real beauty. Was and, that, like mm-hmm. you said, it was a hang, too. Yeah. I mean, like, and, you know, you had the shop upstairs, and then, and then yeah. Adam had his little hovel downstairs. Which slowly got... office. Yeah, my, my, my zone got smaller and smaller. <laughs> right, right. Storage. It became more storage. <laughs> yeah, it started, yeah, it started out in the back with bean bags, And then it went downstairs. And then it went downstairs. And then it went the back and went downstairs. Exactly. And then it became only the back. And then I was cramped in with the clothes. And the whole thing about it was, you know, um, we've never separated cannabis and hemp. I mean, we're just we're just lifestyle people. That's we, we want to smoke it, eat it, drink it, wear right. it. We don't, you know, mm-hmm. we're all about it. You know, so so for us to to be in Amsterdam and be one of these hemp stores like you go to sometimes, and they're like, no, please don't say that word. You don't say the M word. Like, what you say <laughs> the M word? It's not even a word. It should be cannabis. <laughs> There's no right. marijuana. Bullshit. But you know what I mean. That kind of stuff didn't ever have to happen. And it was also like the head st- head shops in America had to adapt to like. Right. Say there was you can't say bomb. Say bomb. You can't. And there was all that. No, you can't sell seeds. You can't have right, right. Operation Pipe Dream and mm-hmm. all that stuff went down while we were there. And so we were never going to fall for that. We were like, we're going to be the haven for all these people. So if they come there, they can say like whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. They can smoke in my place. I don't care. You know, go ahead. Never had an issue about it. Um, you know, and nowadays it's like a, it's such a political standstill when it comes to like public consumption and all this mm-hmm. stuff and it's like do you realize that when you put people together in a public place and they're allowed to smoke just that tiny little bit of freedom makes them so much more relaxed have <laughs> such a better time much f- all the ideas kind of flow mm-hmm. the minute you restrict them a little bit and it's like like i hate when i go to a place that i can't have a beer and a joint like well you have the beer yep. outside and right. the, or the beer special... inside of the joint outside and then you're like it just the flow sucks. You know what I mean. I like mm-hmm. to have like it's unnatural. It's unnatural. <laughs> it's unnatural. No, but in general, like, no, but, but that's also about Adam. That's also what, we're grown what's going people, on though. We we ha- we're grown yeah. folks right. with yeah. freedoms right. that we're supposed to have, yeah. and that's 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 and so part sometimes, of that. And it, it's like we went to uh, we were out at, in, in Jersey the other day. Me and Al, we went out to uh, see Anthrax out at Clark, and they had like the beer area was separate from the regular area mm-hmm. with a fence. 
So you couldn't like be in the concert beer. with a beer. You had to go to the beer garden, drink in the beer garden, and then walk back. To, it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. that Ridiculous. kind of stuff doesn't, again, you're like, how old am I? And right. and are we trying I, to protect? Who are we protecting right. here? I'm an adult. You don't you need know? to protect me. Right. And, right. It's I mean, ridiculous. It's, it, that exactly. restrictiveness. And, and that's what I'm saying. Is like you kind of, you're kind of seeing that a little bit in, in as these as our laws progress in, in cannabis in the U.S., you know, is that as they decriminalize and as we start to get these medical, uh, you know, and, and, legal, and legal states, uh, you still can't consume it. There's no place you can't, you to can't go somewhere. You it's know, a Colorado problem. Even, it's yeah, that's well, even in Colorado, they just you know whatever VS uh, Vicente Sederberg, Sederberg uh, yeah, were they, part they, of putting forward the, forward the initiative, and, pulled and they pulled it back. Yeah, uh, to kind of deal with the, the mm-hmm. with the with the commerce. Uh, yeah. Well, with, with I mean, we commerce, all know uh, ultimately it's gonna it's gonna get to that place, but it's just this incremental steps that we're taking. Well, I mean, well, I, but, but is it going? I mean, I, I certainly hope so. But I mean, you know, at the, the same time, we, you, you can't even smoke places. a cigarette. I mean, and not, not to say that anyone should be smoking cigarettes, but you can't smoke a but, cigarette within what 30, 40 feet of a building right now, or yeah. something like that. I mean, well, it's you like, know, as they as they put on the kid gloves and treat us like we're all babies and like kind of like do it with everything. Cannabis will just get ushered in under all the other vice restrictive right. things, sure. you know. Right. And it sucks because right now in Colorado. They're losing million. They're losing like tens of millions of dollars, in my opinion. I mean, they're oh, losing, if they, if they not, didn't have, if they had public places, hundreds of millions on. in the end of the day. Because really, what people don't realize is like, you know, in Amsterdam, the coffee shops um, they pay a shitload on taxes. Yeah, they support the system as much as they can. But it's it's if they weren't there and it was just like buy it and there's nowhere to smoke it, it'd be mayhem. You know yeah, what I mean? right. No, every right. park no, would be overrun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep it in check, and the whole yeah. it's like hello people. When you put everybody in one place together, it's easy to watch. Right. It's, it's you also know where they are. It's right? a lot harder yeah. when you don't tell them where to go. Yeah. And now they're just random people right. smoking. And, and there's people coming in from out of town yeah. buying rec and they're weed, going about, back to their hotel. They're worried about the image of the city. Well, the image of the city is going to be a lot worse if you have people smoking in. Just hiding in their car and looking like making it look shady in in all the parks, making it look shadier and exposing it to kids and exposing it to people and exposing whatever you know. Like, whereas if you take them and put them into a nice, safe environment that nobody can see you and you're inside a building or you're behind Mm -hmm. a building or whatever, the ventilation, ventilation is all thought ahead of game. I mean, you want it to be smoked in state, you better give them a place to do it. It's just that simple. So, all right, take. Take us back uh, 20 years um, to 1995, around that time. Uh, that's when you win your first <laughs> Cannabis Cup. You placed, uh, you took third place in the hash category um, with the Cal-X hash laminate. Good old lammies. <laughs> lammies. Good old Cal-X oh, yeah. lammies. Um, yeah, that was... Uh, okay, so 93, we actually helped organize it that year, right? The Cup. So, the Cup, yeah. Right. So then we couldn't enter, you know? Mm-hmm. Um I think in 94, I'm trying to think if we even entered. I'm not sure if we even did. I think it might have been the first year we because we kind of felt that we were too close, you know, mm-hmm. to the to the source to like be part of the thing. We were like much more interested in helping out on that side of it all. Um, but the whole laminator thing was pretty awesome because of the fact that it was just like an aha moment that you get, you know <laughs> what I mean? And when those things happen, you're like, oh, I didn't think it was going to really work, but it really did, and it became <laughs> like my standard way of or you know kind of my signature way of pressing hash and it's because when you're making when you're back in 93 i started making hash uh and i was doing all dry sieved and i i I figured out a few things at that time one of the things i figured out was that 
fucking it's a lot of work <laughs> it's a fucking pain in the ass and i was like this shit is worth a hundred bucks a gram i don't care how you look at it because i'm slaving over here plus i got to get the material to start with you know so i was in that kind of zone where it was like i wasn't worth giving it to anybody for less than a hundred bucks so i started calling it 30 meter hash at that point and the reason i called it 30 meter hash is because it never got farther than 30 meters away from me like that was it <laughs> that was it there's no nobody gets any of this stuff you can smoke it it's in your lungs you go maybe that far and then you exhale it and you're done <laughs> so so uh and it was also the interesting part about the laminus is that a lot of times you didn't have a lot of ha- i mean it was like you, you're sitting there screening and you only get like two grams three grams you know and those little tiny amounts because everybody in holland is really about big big chunky presses that you'd have to fill up with hundreds of grams and then your your quality would be down you know what i mean so it's mm-hmm. like you either got to have a like, quantity or quality and i'm a quality guy i'm like fuck the quantity i want the quality so um i actually had the first pollinator from mila when she first designed it she had a prototype she brought it to the cia and said hey you know can you guys uh, first of all use it for a few weeks and then i want to do a press release and do have like uh, some media and stuff can you guys organize that so we're like sure we got Rob Clark and Watson and all the all the hash aficionados of Amsterdam to come together, and we all watched the, you know, I did the process for everybody, showed them what's going on, and it was kind of funny because it was literally like, half the people were like, "Wow, that's really easy, that's great," and the other half of the people were like, "So everybody's just gonna roll their weed now and keep all the hash? Is that what's gonna happen?" <laughs> you know, and it's like, "Oh, we all had the same idea." <laughs> Don't do, you know, I, not that I want, not that I was going to do that, but it was like, someone's going to do that. You of know course. what I mean? There's no way that people are not going to see the value in like, okay, I've got 20 pounds of weed. If I throw it into this machine for a minute or two, each, you know, rotate it out, I'll get the top 100 grams out of it or whatever mm. it is. And then still be able and to. And still be able to sell mm. it for the same price and nobody will be the wiser. You know what I mean? Right. So we saw that and was like, oh, this could be the end of good cannabis right here. <laughs> like you might be raping it, you know. But um, what it did give us, which is awesome, is it gave us the ability to use this machine kind of like nobody telling me what to do i just kind of like did what i thought needed to be done and part of it was that a pollinator is a pain in the ass to load and unload the way she had the original one designed because you could you uh when you undid the front of it and opened it up little bits of weed would fall out and get into your thing so i took like plastic sleeves that i had from uh from a uh, uh poster rack that i had for the shop you know like one of those like head shop style poster racks mm-hmm. that you go through. Mm-hmm. So I pulled all this, the, the plastic pieces out of there and I used those as sort of catchers to, for the hash. So I'd slide it underneath the thing, rotate the, mach- rotate the pollinator for like about a minute or two, take that out, then put another one underneath it, open it up, get all the bullshit out, reload it, and do that. And kind of, so you kind of created a workflow, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was just funny because Mila didn't really know everybody at Mila's place was still going in with the thing and pulling it all out and scraping, taking like hours, you know, literally taking so much time to do it. And I was like, well, here, look at this, you know, and she's like, oh, that makes a lot more sense, you know. And so just having those little because you know how it is whenever you do something repetitive, like making hash, you got to come up with a fucking way to make it better. You time know what I mean? saving. And, yeah. And those are and the quality things, control and- for sure. And that's like whenever I see somebody with a genius idea that's really simple it's like damn obviously you did that enough to come up with that plan you know what i mean and that was a cool thing about doing it back then is that it wasn't very many people making hash i mean it was literally like like rob and those guys made hash but only for themselves and there was no you know there was no production or anything it was just strictly home stuff and so you know i realized quickly that 
you could have just a little bit of hash with you and it would go a long way but the hardest part was making it look good press good and everybody likes pressed hash in europe and everybody in like denver most people don't press their hash they just kind of do it like nicotine style where it's just all microplaned and back in powder form or whatever to me that's not really finished product, you know what I mean? Because I'm so used the, to. I was the used oils to, aren't melted. Yeah, together. you know, well, it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, you don't. You don't. Get, you, there's a, there's something too about getting that. What's the press? The pressing is like another art form in itself. Right. So you got the you got the growing art form, you got the processing art form, and then you got the pressing art form, and they're all different. Usually, different people doing different jobs. Some people, that's all they do is press hash. Other guys, all they do is make hash. Mm-hmm. Um, now the thing is, when you keep it in uh, non-pressed form. It's better for storage. Great pl- if you're going to keep hash and not smoke it, keep it like that. But then when you want to smoke it, you need to press it. So it's either you're going to put it in your hands, which I didn't really like either, because when you take good like bubble hash and, and you put it in your hand, even so, if your hand's clean, it means you might have soap still. You know, they have that. It's too clean now. It's got some weird. F- clean smell i don't like and if it's mm. dirty i mean fuck who wants to smoke dirty hand <laughs> so, so, so the combo is a little bit and that's the thing is you'd, you'd see guys in amsterdam they get their piece of moroccan loose you know they, they'd buy their polom you know which is the loose stuff mm. and they'd be working it and working it and working it and then they'd mix it up but they all mix with tobacco too so i was like from a different school and i was trying to figure out how to make how to smoke this stuff without like how to get the best flavors out of this stuff so to be able to press like a half a gram or a gram is like pretty hard because there's either you got to do with a water bottle heat up the bottle put it in cellophane roll over it still felt kind of archaic you know there wasn't mm-hmm. really a system so i'm sitting at the cia one day and i'm like i got hash and i got a, a little baby laminator like the tiniest laminator in the world made for made for just doing ids you know so we we're making like our own little fake id thing so they weren't <laughs> really fake they were just like cia i'm a cia whatever and so i uh it, i did like a triple take where i looked at this first i looked at the fucking Laminator. Then I looked over at the hash, looked back at the laminator. I did like five times, and I was like, "Wow, that maybe." So I took some cellophane, um, and then I learned that was a little secret that I learned pretty quickly is that cellophane. There's two types of cellophane out there. There's natural cellophane, which is made out of plants, mm-hmm. and there's artificial, which is made out of PV, like plastics, PVCs, or something. And they totally react differently. So, for instance. On cigarette pack, which is what most people think of, because that's like a lot of people would press hash in those, just take their hash, throw it in a cigarette pack, and then squish down on mm-hmm. it, because that cigarette has it, that packaging has got that hard, kind of like a hard plastic vibe to it. It's not when you take like a regular Ziploc bag is soft plastic, and that won't work. Mm-hmm. That'll actually make your stuff come out like dull and won't shine up or look good. Whereas the cellophane, when you put a little pressure and heat on it, would uh, actually give you that nice shine you know that you called it the charlie sheen back in the way back in the day. <laughs> way before charlie sheen was cool we were like got that charlie sheen you know like yeah so that was like 90 what five we said that i think yeah <laughs> and uh so in general though it was like huh i can press a very small amount of hash in between the cellophane under these ro- like through these hot rollers and it goes quick enough that there's never like a cook off, you know, it's not cooking off the hash or anything. All right. So basically from that point on, you, you proceeded to win a ton of cannabis cups, basically almost year after year with the sage, the hog. We did all right. Uh, MK Ultra, bubble gum. Okay. 
<laughs> you threw us a bone once in a while. <laughs> well, you know, when you, yeah. you you mean all your like second and third place finishes to our first place finishes? Yeah, oh. because first place <laughs> is always not really a thing. Is that, is that what you're is 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 that, that referring to? Because yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure uh, <laughs> yeah. Silver Haze and oh, White Widow. I'm pretty sure, but those, I'm pretty those, sure we were taking we home cups know. left, right, and center there, buddy. Everybody knows that, though. <laughs> first place is bullshit. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's when you win Only to the second and third. That's where the real. That's the supporting role. Is that it? Everybody knows that. Obviously, right, if you notice, we have a lot of second and third places. But we let's, have a few firsts. But let's talk a little bit about growing, just like briefly, since sure. it is a cultivation-based uh, show. Technically um, speaking, yeah, I heard it, I heard about that one. To, to win these cups, I yep. mean, what 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 do you recommend? I mean, soil. soil, soil for yeah. sure. I think we did a few. We did hydro back in the day a bit with cocoa and stuff. There was a few mm-hmm. moments in time there, maybe for about two years, we did cocoa. But we're, you know, the thing is, is you go through the gamut of everything. Like I've grown aeroponics and hydroponics and I, I mean I was I was the uh, general hydro distributor for a little while there for about two years between 93 and 95 so I obviously liked hydro too for the control factor I liked the idea of being able to tweak it and I thought you know I'm in control here but then you know get yourself some root aphids or something like that in hydro and see the misery that is caused mm-hmm. by the fact that you're living like you're creating a vacuum for these things because you're creating this sterile environment but we're in Amsterdam where it's like not the most sterile place to begin with a lot of bugs a lot of problems because it's a small place everyone's transferring clones old around. houses old mm-hmm. really old buildings and that is a funny thing in Holland is like that you really did have to like struggle to grow. It wasn't never easy. No, it was a, no, it was and, a, and, then, and, and then of course, and, you had, and of course, you had to be extremely secretive because, and especially as, as Americans, because I mean, you know, the Dutch were immediately on to you. You know, yeah. if you were mm-hmm. an American in Holland, they're oh, you're here for the weed. You know, of course. <laughs> uh, so like, so I, I still remember. And they're right. Yeah, <laughs> for the most part, they're right. Yeah, but I still remember one of my first rooms, and this is of course, you know, all growers have their, uh, you know, their their, you know, stories of utter a failure, fire, <laughs> flood, you yeah. know, etc. Uh, but I still remember I flooded the hell out of this oh, <laughs> apartment uh, over near Anne Frank's house, <laughs> and, uh, the, and and what ended up happening was there was a, another grower like downstairs, and he came up and was all pissed. <laughs> yeah, blowing yeah, up his spot. Yeah, yeah. I was, so I like not only flooded my grow, but I flooded his grow too. <laughs> oh, shit. No, and it's it is, uh, and the thing about there too is it's like you know the the average house has about sixteen amps of power. Yeah. So right. as a grower, you're like, really? Um, That's what I'm going to work with? You know, you have to have a fridge. You got to have a few basic things. Well, so that's you, why every Everybody uses six hundreds instead of thousands. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. So lower well, wattage, and it wasn't just we that. We used two fifties. It wasn't just that. It was also that. I mean, they're more efficient to begin with. The Dutch are efficiency mm-hmm. maniacs, yeah. you know, when it comes to stuff like that. So, and and uh, but yeah, with a thousand watt, you don't have the, the amperage to be able to even click on more than two lights. You know, I mean, at that <laughs> right. point, you're pretty much blown out. So, so yeah, you have to kind of adjust your ways of doing things. And you know, I was really jealous of the American growing ways when I was living in Holland and then I come back here and now everybody here is adapted to grow like Dutch people now so now <laughs> yeah, it's all well, here now it's, now it's going back now we see your experience trivia. over there and all of the struggles of having to try to find ways to grow in a place that's not that conducive to it mm-hmm. um must be helpful now that you're consulting yeah, sure. here oh, doing the Mexicana thing when I first came back here I was like so I get to meet the architect Right, and he's gonna ask me questions, and right. I'm gonna tell him my feedback, and he's gonna listen to me. Right. This is right. crazy. Like, no, that's what and, and now, like, so Dan saying, juxtapose that to what we do now, yeah. where we're designing fifty and a hundred thousand square foot buildings, sure. and we're designing nine acres of of greenhouse and uh able to like you said able to talk to engineers able to talk to you know we used to go and we could talk to lighting guys and stuff in holland but but that's about that's about it um what are some of the larger 
facilities that you're seeing now. I mean, I mean like I, the biggest I, ones are like a hundred thousand right now. Hundred thousand square feet. Hundred fifty. Yeah. Hundred fifty. Uh, hundred fifty thousand. Uh, what do they call Native Roots is. Uh, yeah. Doing a hundred and fifty thousand square footer indoors. Yeah, it's wow. insane. It's like I mean, golf but that's, carts, you know, you know, golf carts a, and run down the aisles yeah. and sure. <laughs> make sure things are good. Well, Scott, who is just uh, who's uh, rare dankness, mm-hmm. just walked down the hallway here, and mm-hmm. he's got uh, fifty three. Right. Yeah, we, we were we were <laughs> we it's clarified 50, that not, not fifty, not fifty, it's fifty three thousand. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Uh, so, you know, so Scott's got fifty three thousand coming 27, in. Feet of yeah. Don't you don't you think the price of cannabis has to drop? When Absolutely, it's being of course. It, 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 not only drop, plummet. I mean, you know, plummet. you're, you're going to see uh, this is this is the commoditization of this, of this plant. Five hundred pounds. Five hundred dollar pounds. No, yeah, I mean, it's going yeah. to completely drop. Two fifty. But you know, it's funny. These people wrote up these business plans based on a price point that's just never going to never do. There's a lot of people. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are going to suffer greatly uh, right. as this market opens. And and the thing is, and you know, and we're obviously have a have a good view of this in our in our in our position with, as Medcana. Uh, there are a lot of companies that are because you know it takes time. It takes a lot of time to get these things up and running. I mean, Massachusetts is now two years past its time, right. and they're mm-hmm. just starting to get uh, some some things up and running. Uh, Nevada is already a year out, and there's only like one open. Uh, you know, so it takes time. So a lot of the, like you're saying, a lot of these business plans and a lot of these uh, facilities that were designed two years ago. Uh, are almost obsolete now. Um, well, <laughs> well man, wrapping up. That's it. It's over. <laughs> how can people get? How can people get in touch with you guys? Uh, Ooh. Med. Ooh. It's med-canada. Well, yeah, yeah. The website is med-canada. That's for people who are serious com. about hiring consultants. And yeah, you know, I mean, yes. Please do not call us to ask us uh, <laughs> 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 what to do in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Uh, no, you know, obviously, what MedCanada does is is we provide a, a full litany of consulting services for the industry. Uh, from you know, we help raise funds. We've, we've raised quite a few million dollars for, for clients in the last few years. Um, we most the core of the business is is, uh, is the privileged license acquisition and operations management. So, which basically uh, means helping people get helping people win licenses. Yeah, exactly, helping right. people win licenses in in new and emerging markets uh, or in or, or in existing markets. All right, and Adam. Uh you got thseeds.com, of course, as back, always. Back in the, yep, still rocking and rolling, even though Holland has completely turned lame when it comes to You're only allowed to buy five seeds at a time in Amsterdam, you know that. Now? Yes. Wow. Is there a way for people to get Hoodlam coats? Because those coats, yes. winter's coming, yes, right? As is. they say, the shop. Hood Lab shophoodlabstore.com. Yeah, that'll be our, our, our portal to buy our gear, but... Uh, Awesome. Yeah. You can also listen to the Adam yeah, Dunn Show. Oh, yeah. Show. Why not have the show? Listen to the Adam <laughs> Dunn Show. Check out thseeds.com. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming on the show. I'm and, super uh, stoked to be here. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot, you guys. Good to see you, buddy. And thanks, Mike. Yeah. Boy, that was that was an awesome interview. Our thanks to to Adam and Jan. And you know what, Danko? This is the episode that just keeps on giving because right now in the studio we have our colleague Craig Coffee to talk to us about growing for concentrates. Yeah, what's happening, guys? How y'all doing? <laughs> what's, what's up, up Craig? Uh, you know, Dan. Last week we you your grow tip was about pheno hunting. And right. we, we both felt that that uh, was an excellent way to select genetics for your, your concentrates. Right. But uh, Craig here, uh, he, by the way, writes the dab column for High Times. You mm-hmm. can see that in, uh, in Issues Monthly. But his latest column is about uh, specifically growing pot for extraction. 
Yeah, yeah. And these are things we've talked about a little bit here, but never really focused too much on. And it's something that's changing uh, in a big way in the cultivation world because so much cannabis is being grown for. Uh, People are growing entire jar- giant gardens and not smoking a single bud. They're extracting <laughs> the entire thing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and that's the thing that people, um, some of the people who aren't in states where, you know, there's a medical or a rec program don't really get is that there's so much pot being grown um, that really a, a, a majority at this point isn't even smoked. It's either turned into concentrates or turned into edibles. Uh, and even for the edibles, most of the time, that's turned into a concentrate first and then melted into whatever food they're making. Um but what is it about growing for the production of concentrates that would be different than, let's say, just growing for flour on bag appeal? Well, back in the day when we started indoor gardening under the the, the hood of prohibition, you know, they made us uh, go and hide in closets and stuff like that. So the goal became grow the biggest, heaviest nugs you possibly could, dense, tight nuggets in the, in the short amount of period as you could. The focus became pretty THC-centric. Mm-hmm. But now in this concentrate game, it's that's all changed. It's it's become a, a terpene game now. Every concentrate's got a lot of THC, more than you probably need in in a lot of cases. So what sets one ter- one dab apart from the other? It's terpene content, and terpenes are extremely volatile. And there's things that kind of like fly in the face of everything High Times has ever told you about growing when it comes to making weed specifically for concentrates. Right. So. What you're saying, um, if I get it correctly, is like um, faster flowering, really dense, short, stocky indicas are you not... You don't the- even want to finish your flower in some cases. Like, it's better to cut some of these plants at week six instead of week eight, you know? Let them be a little wispy. As long as you got full, heavy trichomes there, you know, week six through week seven, week seven and a half is like your peak terpene production. By the time you get to week eight, that plant is done. It's, it already thinks it's got seeds growing in it. It's done making terpenes or whatever else it might be making. Now, there's also something about, like, surface area, right? Like, the densest nugs are tougher to actually extract from than something that's a little wispier and looser. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about, like, the resin and the terpenes that are deep inside that bud, and how do you get to it when you're trying to run butane through it? You know, the butane doesn't have any way to get to the inside of a bud, so wispier like less dense fluffier type buds are better you know and uh one of the things that's gonna like buck against everything you've probably ever thought about indoor growing is like raise your lights you know we 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 probably taught you a million times in high times to (laughs) keep your plant your lights as close to the tops of the plants as you can and use air conditioners to make up for the heat i'm telling you raise those lights a foot higher than you think they should be man make the plant stretch for them reach out you know yeah and that will actually create more surface area uh, among those sort of wispier buds that you're growing. Not just that, the lights will create less heat on your plants. And like I said, the uh, terpenes are very volatile. That means they evaporate at pretty low temperatures, like in the 80s to 90 degree temperature range in some cases. And the way you combat, combat that is lower the temperatures on your plants. You know, keep it cold, preserve the, t- the terps. Now, that, uh, that also plays a role in the harvesting and processing and, and that whole uh, aspect uh, is keeping it cold during that period, right? When you're trimming and, and all of that? You know, I don't know if, if you've ever grown a plant, when you walk in in the morning right after the lights come on, it smells exactly like you want it to smell. And there's a reason for that. Overnight, that plant's been pumping out terpenes when the when the heat is low. Uh, it's just part of the, the biological cycle of the plant, you know? 
during the day, the lights come up, or if you're outdoors, the sun comes up and some of those terpenes evaporate, and then in the morning, the next day, there they are again. So if you're growing for, for making terpenes, a good way to preserve those terps is just on your last day, kill the lights, man. Cut those things down in the dark. Never let them see sunlight again on their last day of life. Hmm, very interesting. So cold temperatures, raising the lights, and doing your processing uh, after a dark period and also in a cold space will preserve the terpenes that you're really trying to get, um, which you know c- uh, provides the flavors and all of the interesting interactions with the THC. Uh, it's, it's a flavor game when you're talking about dabs. You know, mm-hmm. Do everything you can to preserve those terpenes. Now, one more question. You mentioned earlier about uh, harvesting a little bit earlier. Um, now, most growers would consider, you know, buds at week six of a eight or nine week flowering strain to be premature. But you found that like uh, extract artists end up with maybe a, a clearer product, like a lighter looking product, a lighter, more blonde product, often more flavorful. And not to mention the amount of money you save on electricity and time by cutting three weeks early or two weeks early. You know, it, it, the end net result makes it all worth it, even though it sounds a little crazy. Interesting. Um, now, this doesn't play a role in whether your extract comes out as a shatter or a butter. This has always been kind of a question of mine. How, I, what's the difference there? Like, how is, how does the same, how can the same bud be processed into shatter and also butter? It really has got a lot to do with the types of solvents that you use and the way that you purge it at the end. It's like after the bud is grown, the way you process it kind of determines that stuff. Um, a big trend in the market right now is live resins, and that that means that the plant was never even dried, you know. And there's a lot of volatile things in in a, a dab that's made from a live resin process. You'll see often, like when you have a live resin dab, it changes. You know, it's not the same as it in three weeks as it was on the day that you bought it. And the reason for that is a lot of these more volatile compounds that are in a live resin dab have evaporated, you know, like the uh, the ratios of what's actually in that dab have changed. Hmm. Interesting. I've definitely seen um, some volatile extracts over, you know, all these judging of different cups. Um, and when you say live resin, is that the same sort of thing as fresh frozen where people harvest and immediately freeze the product and then do their uh, extraction process? With yeah, you're, you're cutting the, the drying process out of that. You know, you're taking a live plant and freezing it and making an extract from it. And uh, the reasons that you do that go right back to terp preservation. You know, the longer that those buds are sitting around and drying, the more those volatile terps escape into the atmosphere. Now, but does that create more moisture in the final product? Is that Well, butane does not absorb water. You know, okay. it, it only kind of absorbs the oily parts of the plant. It's, mm-hmm. it's not the right uh, polarity to absorb water. So, no, not really. It shouldn't. All right. <laughs> Very interesting. That is. And, uh, you know, uh, every month Craig writes the dab column in High Times, so be sure to keep a lookout. He only gave you a couple of tips. We have a bunch more, so uh, keep mm-hmm. an eye out for the January 2016 uh, issue of High Times. And to steal just a line from uh, from that article, you have to think of yourself no longer as a bud farmer but as a terpene farmer. It's, a, it's an interesting mm. shift in mentality. Right. You're producing essential oils mm-hmm. rather than chlorophyll and, so and green leafy product. Pre-run. You're not growing nuggets anymore. You're growing some pre-run. <laughs> That's good stuff. Thank you for dropping by, Craig. All thank right. You. Yes, thank you. So, Dan, uh, what do you say we move on to some listener questions that are answered by you, Danny Danko, on Free Weed? 
Let's do it. Excellent. If you out there have a question that you would like Dan to answer, you could reach us. It's freeweed at hightimes.com. We also occasionally check the Twitter. He is at Danny Danko. I am at Mike Hughes underscore. Let's get started. Yes. All right. So last week, you might remember, uh, Puff Tentacle wrote us about a little infestation problem that he was having. So we got a little follow up here. Uh, thanks for your advice on the cast. That's short for podcast. Um, I managed to survive the caterpillar madness, and I'm enjoying the trans-Siberian autoflower harvest. I've uh, never turned on a light, but the weed is only good for joints and cooking. Hmm. So there you go. Thank you, Puff Tentacle. Yes, thank you. And uh, yeah, how rewarding that your your advice paid off. There. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to Dan. He writes, uh, "Love the show." I'm going back and listening to all of them over again to make sure I get as much information as I can. Wow. Um, I feel like there's a law of diminishing returns on this show. <laughs> Not, anyway, I have a 4x2x5 uh, grow tent, and I'm shopping around for a carbon filter. My question is, does the carbon filter have to be on the inside sucking air through it, or can it still work if I have the carbon filter on the outside pushing air through it? So obviously he has a smaller space. Mm-hmm. He'd like to preserve some area. Uh, what do you think? It works well, fine either way. Um, ideally, it's inside because you know the, you just don't want it, the odor escaping through any uh, you know small cracks or anything like that. But uh, if you have to put it on the outside, that's perfectly fine. Just make sure you're pu- pulling enough air into the filter and. Uh, sucking as much of the heat and spent air out through that filter and uh you know just make sure it's rated for the space that you have and all of that and you, you'll be fine all right very cool thank you dan uh let's move on to pete dear denny i enjoy your advice um thanks for your help over the years i know nothing about electricity uh what size led light would i need for a closet grow any info would help. I have to move indoors due to weather and security, and uh, LED looks like the best bet for me at this time. I don't need the bells and whistles, just a decent light until I could sell out and move to Colorado. So <laughs> Pete doesn't want any of your fancy goddamn bells and whistles. What, what advice would you give him? Um, well, my first advice would probably be uh, to reconsider using HIDs, which are high-intensity discharge lights. You can get, uh, you know pretty low uh wattage ones you can get a 150 you can get high pressure sodiums that are 150 250 you can get a metal metal halide similar um that don't create a ton of heat but will produce a lot of bud um if you really do insist on going led uh, i'm not really an expert on it but i would go um you know i think lush lighting is probably the one that uh, i would recommend uh wholeheartedly because i've only heard good things and seen good things um as far as sizing, like I said, if it's a small space and you're in heat is an issue, I would say get a 150 or a 250 uh, high pressure sodium or metal halide light. Um, use really good airflow and uh, exhaust to pull hot air out, and you will definitely see a larger yield. I mean, that's what we're in this for, anyways, is to produce a good product and enough of it that makes it worth the risk to even bother. Um, and I just think with LEDs, um, they're great as supplemental lighting. They're great. I've seen them work really well uh, for flowers, too, here and there. But, you know, those are pretty expensive and big systems that they use. Um, there's a video on YouTube of me um, showing some some of that. If you Google Danny Dinko LEDs, you'll see that. Um, and basically, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think, I, I just think if yield... 
uh, is important, then you know reconsider going with the HIDs. LEDs look, work uh, well in veg time, you know, during the vegging time as well uh, to keep the internodes nice and short. Um, but again, you can do that with fluoros as well. Uh, I'm just not sold yet on LEDs for production uh, of cannabis. Um, I've seen it work. Obviously, you know, you can do it with fluorescence as well. Um, but I just don't think it's the ideal way to go. So that would be my advice to you. All right. Uh, hope that helps, Pete. Let us know what you decide to do with your lights. And good luck selling out and moving to Colorado. Let's move on to Ben from the Mitten State. Ben writes, Salutations to you both, distinguished Danko and ever-honorable Hughes. <laughs> nice. Like Civil War letter. <laughs> uh, I recently made the trip to Colorado to visit a friend. <laughs> and while there, I was obliged to visit a few of the various recreational shops around. Um, it's been a few years since I was really smoking any considerable amount but the experience reinvigorated my interest in the culture. I have since decided to jump in the deep end. I ordered some seeds and have started my own little garden. Listening to your podcast has been a great help in thinking through what uh, I should be doing and not doing. Also, big thanks to Jorge Cervantes. Just wanted to uh, say thanks a bunch for all you do. Keep up the amazing work. Oh, nice. So it's not a question. It's not just really sort a of question. a statement yeah, in statement. support of... Uh, well, he, so he recommends a podcast. Uh, they do good stuff, too. Okay. It's called Raw Talk. I'll check it and, out. And yeah, he says to check that out. And uh, thanks. So thank you, Ben. Right on. Thanks. Yeah. Good job, Dan. Pat ourselves on the back for that one. <laughs> um, all right. Ola, Batman, and Robin. I call Batman. I'm pretty sure you're Robin. Ah, damn it. <laughs> uh, still loving the heck out of your show. Wish she'd come around more often. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've finished the entire catalog. Uh, Anyway, he writes, not much talk about making seeds or the techniques for making seeds. Uh, You have plenty of experienced breeders as guests, and uh, your panels are always loaded with the finest minds. Uh, Since it's a deep subject with lots of considerations, i.e. how to flip, which plants to flip, how to pick the best plants uh, from the new seeds, how to stabilize, etc., can we get a full episode, like free hash, but this time call it... Free seeds. Free seeds from Danny Danko. Yes, free seeds from Danny Danko. Uh, It's a good idea, and I should definitely talk about it at some point. The reason I'm sort of hesitant sometimes to teach people um, those sort of techniques is because most of the time what you're going to make seed-wise is just not – you're going to muddy up the gene pool if you're not uh, kind of already pretty well-versed at breeding to begin with because breeding is about selection. It's not just – hey, I got a great plant, I'm going to cross it with this other plant and I'll make, you know, something great. Most of the time you're not going to make something great. You're going to make, you know, you're going to muddy up those genetics and it's just going to be uh, like a very many, you know, strange phenotypes expressed out of like this kind of, you know, genetically just sort of stew, right? So that's why I don't really encourage it. Like when people seed up their gardens on accident because it's something hermed out, you know, you hear stories about, you know, a great plant coming out of that, but you're not hearing the thousands of other stories of, uh, of how crappy genes were made, um, when something like that happened. So that's kind of one reason I don't encourage it. I feel like most of the people that listen to the show probably aren't expert breeders. Um, and you know, if you're interested in experimenting though, basically, um, it's quite simple. I mean, you just need male pollen from a male plant, um, which, you know, you just grow from seed and, um, as it, uh, as it flowers, it the pollen sacs will open and drop pollen. Um, you can take those and um, you know kind of shake them around and catch that pollen in, in a bag, 
And then basically you can use a, a paintbrush or whatever else you want um, around, you know, let's say the second to third week of a flowering female plant, you start uh, applying a little bit of that pollen um, onto the female buds. Um, being extra careful not to just let it spread everywhere because it will seed up the whole, the whole room if, you, if you're not careful. Pollen is very light and tiny, and especially if your fans are on or anything like that. You should never chuck the pollen. <laughs> no, don't don't be a pollen chucker. Um, so yeah, I mean, you just want to you know p- place it on the bud that you want to uh, seed it seed up, and then you know that bud instead of making seedless bud, it's going to start forming seeds inside of it. And when it comes time to harvest, you'd harvest it like you normally would, and and pull those ripe seeds out. Uh, and now you do have seeds you can experiment with, and if you plant those and grow them out and make really uh, good selections, you might find something really amazing in there. And I mean, that's what we talked about um, with pheno hunting earlier, uh, the last episode. Um, but that was pheno hunting with seeds that are made by professional breeders. Um, if you're trying to do it yourself, you're going to have a lot more uh, variation, basically, um, in genetic uh, expression. So, yeah, and certainly you wouldn't want to uh, breed with hermy seeds or any kind of plants that uh, put out you know, any kind of hermaphroditic tendencies because that's where you're going to really run into trouble um, and you'll have a lot of seeds that are worthless. All right. Uh, so probably not a free seeds episode. Uh, we probably won't do a whole episode, a whole but episode. I'll certainly yeah. talk to professional breeders and, and we can talk about the actual process um, if it's something that we, we, you know, we haven't really talked about of, of uh, you know, pollinating a female plant, how, it's all, how it all goes down and what you know, what a professional does to, to do that. All right. Thank you for the, the free seeds advice. We'll take it into consideration. All right. (laughs) All right. Very good. So thank you. And uh, let's move on to our buddy Carlton, who far and away writes us more than any other living human being, which we love. Thank you, Carlton. Absolutely. And he's got a question. What is the tastiest bud you've ever smoked? Please describe the taste and if possible, the terpene profile. Oh man, that's a tough one. Just pick one, I would say. I, one was, of the I mean, it's, I always say strawberry cough. That would be my um, I always say that. It's so unique. It's so different. It certainly doesn't pack the same punch, you know, that you get from a cam or an OG or a sour. Um, but I, you know, I, I, you can, those things are, to me, they're like a dime a dozen. I can smoke chem sour. I can smoke those anytime so I so want. Privileged. <laughs> if I have all, if I have the four of them in front of me, I'm almost always going to pick the strawberry because I just the the high is very cerebral, um, very enlightening. It feels good. It just makes you feel good. And uh, as far as terpene profile, I really don't know. I mean, we we should actually I'll look into that and get back to you guys on that because um, we I'm, I know we have the lab results for it uh, somewhere. I'm sure because uh, Cushman's definitely entered it in a few cups and won. So and I know the THC uh, level is usually pretty high. It's usually over twenty percent. Uh, when we've tested it, which kind of was a surprise to me because I, you know, like I said, it is a little milder than uh, of of a high, but it's just a more uh, expansive high, and it really doesn't have much of a ceiling. You know, you just smoke smoke it all day. I love the the smell that it leaves behind in a room after you smoke it. You know, it's like some some weed has that like fuely, you know, diesel kind of smell that's like almost like cat piss or something where it's a little slightly unpleasant after you've burned it. But strawberry cough has like, it's like incense, like sandalwood incense in the room. Um, I hate smoking it outdoors. In fact, because like, 
you you don't get that sensation of it. Um, so I really prefer to like actually hot box <laughs> hot box the area with it because it like smells so nice. It's like like incense. Well, strawberry um, cough would be my pick as well. But but let's go to uh, maybe the other end of the spectrum. What do you think of the more citrusy terpenes like a, a tangy? Yeah, I mean in in that in, tangy I like, but I would, I don't know if it's my desert island you know favorite taste I, I guess in that direction i'd have to go with like super snow dog um which to me is like the chem dog that most the chem dog family strain that's like most on the sativa side kind of even though it's like 60 40 or whatever it might be it just uh and you know it i don't know i just have a soft spot for the snow dog it, it tastes amazing it's got like that lemon uh fuel kind of uh you know, diesel-y, cushy kind of um, vibe to it, but it, but there's de- depth to it. And then even further down the joint, you know, if it's grown right, um, for even at, towards the end of a joint, it's still got that taste and fl- uh, the flavor just shines through. Um, so I really enjoy that. I guess I'd say Super Snow Dog would be the one from from that family and, and from the more sativa side of things, the Strawberry Cough. Uh, but as far as flavor of Strawberry Cough, it's like... It's almost like musky. Some people say a little kelpy. Like it's it's different. It's, it's very unique. It's yeah, hard it's to kind pin of down. a if you if you've smoked the real deal strawberry cough, the the original, um, then you really you know that what I'm talking about. But it's kind of it's almost impossible to describe in some ways. Exactly, and uh, <laughs> the strawberry aspect of it is a little misleading because that's not what you're getting. It doesn't smell like, or taste like strawberries. Right. It really doesn't. It, I mean, the 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 growing plant kind of does. Like, the, if you rub the stem of the plant, it does kind of give off a little strawberry vibe. Um, but no, it's 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 more in tune with like what hazes kind of smell and taste like a spicy sort of peppery um, sandalwood sort of uh, vibe. Nice description. You're like a sommelier, <laughs> but for weed here. Um, anyway, Carlton, we appreciate the question. We hope that that. Um, is illuminating for you and thank you all for writing if you have a question that you would like dan to address on this program you can get us uh, at freeweed at hightimes.com also on twitter he is at danny danko i am at mike hughes underscore we're going to take a little break but when we come back we will wrap it up with raw absolutely All right, we are wrapping up the show with raw papers right now, and then we're smoking the show. (laughs) (laughs) Freeweed episode 84, uh, high times. It's going to be a cerebral high. It's going to be cerebral. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) We'll see. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just want to thank Jacques and Winstrong, of course, as always, for the wonderful tune. Uh, Adam Dunn and Jan Carlos Bile. How nice uh, of them to swing by the office. Like, we've had Adam on, but always by phone. Right, yeah. phone. Or he's been on some panel shows he's as well. He's been on panels, but, never but in it's person, nice to see so, him in yeah. the office and just kind of be hypnotized by his magnificent beard. <laughs> yeah. Yep, check him out on The Adam Dunn Show um, at theadamdunnshow.com. And, yeah, thanks to Craig Coffee for coming by and uh, enlightening us a little bit about uh, cultivation for for concentrates, which is very interesting, how that's sort of changing. Craig has a very um, a very unique way of looking at things. He could kind of sum up something in a sentence that mm-hmm. takes other people uh, paragraphs to do. So he's he's yeah. you know really yeah. good at that. Good stuff there. Um, thanks as always to my co-host Mike Hughes for putting it all together and making sure we're doing it. 
And uh, uh, last but not least, of course, you guys, the listeners. Uh, it's all about you guys. So check us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, you know, check us out at hightimes.com slash freeweed. Go to cannabiscup.com for all your cannabis cup uh, info. See you this weekend at the Boston Freedom Rally. And uh, yeah, I think I think we can uh, lick it shut and light it up. <laughs> is that is that the one you want to go with? I, I, yeah, I guess so. I mean, we're, the metaphor is that we're rolling up the joint. And...